All right, welcome back to the Major Journey Podcast. Today's guest is a recovering, award-winning journalist. These days, she is a senior account executive with the Grasslands Agency, a journalism-minded marketing agency that is fluent in cannabis and other complex business languages. After more than 15 years as an editor and writer, she moved into PR to support the maker movement and STEM and STEAM modalities for kids. She became fascinated by cannabis as an industry emerging from prohibition in 2016, just as California legalized this plant and became active in policy and reform. As an activist, she has served on the citizen panel advising the state's cannabis appellations project, sat on the board of the now defunct International Cannabis Farmers Association, belongs to the Sonoma County Growers Alliance, and is a founding member of both the Cannabis Business Association of Sonoma County and the Sonoma Valley Cannabis Enthusiasts. In addition to her passion for cannabis, she is delighted to see the pharmacological opportunities that psychedelics offer to everyone's better health as this new industry also emerges into the light. And so without further ado, Gretchen Giles, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining us today. So Gretchen, you have an unbelievable story and you and I were just talking a little bit about that before we came on air. A great place to start, I think, would just be if you could take us back to day one or a little bit before that and what attracted you to the cannabis industry and how you got into the position that you are today. Um, I came into it a different way than most people would. I came into it through my son. My older son uh, was a lobbyist, a cannabis lobbyist for the state of California. Well, actually, that's not true. Let me back up. First of all, he was in Rob. Uh, he was he supported an assembly member, a California state assembly member, Rob Bonta. Rob Bonta is now California's attorney general. But um, when mm-hmm. cannabis came became legal for recreation for adults, um, uh, assembly member Bonta helped to lead that. And my son Max Michelonis, who's actually well known in the industry, they call him Cannabis Jesus, <laughs> which I just love. Um, he spent a year traveling the state, talking to st- stakeholders from the top of the state to the bottom of the state and in between, really trying to understand what the best way to help create these laws were. Um, California is funny that um, cannabis events, um, if they're state sanctioned, have to be held on agricultural property. And I happen to live four blocks from the fairgrounds where the Emerald Cup was held is held there so cool so my kid would spend the night with me and he would take me to the emerald cup with him the next day where i would get a contact high the size of idaho (laughs) Um, my son is does not uh, he does not take cannabis um he's he's a delightful you know policy guy he's in khakis and button downs and everyone knows who he is and as a mother it was like the experience of a lifetime um and he introduced me to this extraordinary cadre of professionals. And I have never been a good uh, corporate fit. I um, edited an alt weekly mm. for nearly 10 years. I've been my journalism background. I'm a recovering journalist. I spent 15 years in the alts. I like to be able to use the F word. <laughs> I like to stand up to authority. And what I found in the cannabis community, as my son introduced me to it, was um, a, a a collection of passionate, seriously minded, and particularly policy folks who really wanted to see change happen in California and really wanted to preserve, protect, and uplift the traditional legacy craft cannabis market, sun-grown cannabis, mm-hmm. emerald triangle cannabis, the cannabis that has made California national, you know, internationally famous. Um, so he introduced me to these people and I just got turned on. So I started to do 
something you and I were discussing before we came on uh, tape, um, exactly what you did, which is I went to every conference. Uh, you read my list of groups I've belonged to or helped to found. And, um, you know, I just started showing up everywhere and meeting people and um, finding my way into how can I serve? What do I have to offer mm -hmm. to uh, this industry as it comes into the light? Um, and what I can do is words and people. And um, I'd been trained as a publicist. I uh, transitioned out of um, newspapering in 2010. I loved it a lot more than it loved me. And I was a woman of a certain age with no 401k. So I transitioned into traditional computer book publishing, which then took me to the maker movement, um, which is a, a DIY movement. We hosted fairs, um, a huge fair in California that we had about 150,000 people over a two-day period, a weekend in May. And then we did it in um, New York at the New York Hall of Science um, every September. And we get about 110,000 people in Queens every every September as well. And this is all devoted to, you know, blowing shit up. Physics <laughs> meets art, you know, 3D printing, all of the, the new modalities. And these are ways to help kids come in and, and learn how to, they're going to succeed in 20 years when they grow up. You know, they need to know how to code. They need to understand math and science. And uh, let's make it really fun. Mm -hmm. So I came from there. So I already knew how to do the PR side of things and then came into what really is my passion. Um, and as, as you noted um, in my bio, um, with psychedelics now coming online, I, the pharmacological applications are endless. And I don't know, just yesterday, the Journal of American, uh, the JAMA, Journal of American Medical Association, uh, published a clinical study proving that uh, psilocybin um, consumption could significantly reduce alcohol intake in alcoholics. People who are drinking seven drinks a day were suddenly not drinking mm -hmm. at all. So uh, it's, psilocybin is actually trending on Twitter right now as we're recording this. So very exciting. That yeah. Is so cool. <laughs> I think there's just, there's so much good news um, amid the usual crappy news that is the 21st century right now. So right. Um, it's a pleasure to be a part of That's it. a big win. Yeah, that's a that's a big win, especially for the for the yeah. psychedelic um, community and and industry and now research, which I'm super excited to see a lot of more research happening Me in that too. realm as well. Grasslands, the agency for which I work, was really founded to serve the cannabis community, but they've been very smart and we're seeing you know psilocybin from all across the country, but there's a lot of it in uh, Colorado. We've helped to represent um, a, a rabbi, for example, who uses psilocybin as part of his Kabbalah work, um, Kabbalah, excuse me, mispronounced it. Just, you know, and one of our jobs was to help keep him out of jail. <laughs> you know, yeah, know. <laughs> by telling his story correctly. That's amazing. So how, so how exactly did you end up uh, coming into cannabis from a public relations standpoint and then transitioning to work over with the great people at grasslands um i started out very locally here in sonoma county um helping to found the sonoma valley Can cannabis enthusiasts was one of the ways um mm -hmm. and one of our founding members is a gentleman named mike benzinger um benzinger is a familiar name to those who like to drink wine he, he and his family um were very successful vintners had quite a large um beautiful winery uh, i think they eventually sold to constant Brands, which is one of the largest holders of wine um, companies in the United States. Um, but what Mike came to understand 
was after soon after he and his brothers purchased their property, they they didn't know how to farm. It's a farm story, actually. I'm going to take it back. It's, this is a farming story. Hmm. Um, they didn't know. They were using conventional methods to grow grapes. And um, he realized one morning when he was out that he couldn't hear any birds. Um, and then he realized he wasn't seeing that many insects. And then he saw after a rainfall that was extraordinary that half his, his hill had fallen down because there was nothing planted to hold the soil in place. And he thought, what the heck am I doing here? I am farming. I am ruining this land. I am not helping it. So he became very um, infatuated, and so am I, with the idea of biodynamic farming, which looks at farming as a closed loop. And everything within the loop, which includes the insects, the animals, um, the uh, and the people, are, are there to grow soil. And when you grow soil, then you can grow food, then you can grow wine grapes, then you can grow cannabis. Um, so when Mike sold his farm, and he, to hear him talk about biodynamic farming, which was uh, a theory that was invented by Rudolf Steiner, who founded the Waldorf school system. Um, uh, he moved into cannabis and he took the same idea into cannabis. And he, he grows cannabis on his Glentucky family farms in Glen Ellen, in Sonoma, uh, in Sonoma Valley, in Sonoma County, and here in Northern California. Mm-hmm. And um, he became very activated around the Appalachians idea that the state of California had floated. And um, I became fascinated by it too. So in short, what California wants to do is protect its legacy craft cannabis, the way that Italy protects Parmesan and the way that France protects Champagne. Um, So Mike, uh, I started to, I volunteered to uh, sit on the board with the California Department of Fish and Game, Fish and Agriculture, Food and Agriculture, CDFA, excuse me. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, Mike learned about it and understanding Appalachians and the power in the wine sector, he wanted to bring it to the cannabis sector. So he co-founded this enthusiast club and I came in it with a friend uh, and hooked up with a mentor of mine who is a PR person and together we started to rep that and then uh, support Mike and support actually Garden Society, um, which has become very well known, and that's a female-owned edibles brand here out of Sonoma County. Um, that's delicious. Uh, they they feature um, artisanal, very high-level chocolates that are terrific for falling asleep and stuff. So that was our first account. And once I started to work in this and think about the farming, think about the soil, think about what the sun does, think about this extraordinary plant, and then how can I use my uh, my verbal skills and my written skills to support it. Um, it kind of started from there. And then the more I got into it, the more it became something I wanted to do. And then I was fortunate enough to meet um, the owner of a very small boutique PR firm called Human Nature. And um, I began working with them. And we got a very, we had a very large client, which is now unfortunately out of business, um, Flocana, uh, the Flow Cannabis Co. Um, Mm-hmm. Well, Cannabis Co. continues, but Flocona itself is out of business. And that is that was a consortium of legacy farmers who were able to, what Flocona did was help get them to market because they had been selling on the, uh, what we call the traditional market <laughs> illegally. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and this allowed them to come into the light, participate in California's great experiment, uh, pay taxes, get paid, you know, all that stuff. 
And that's part of what Flocon helped to facilitate. So that was a just a that was like being dropped into a big green pot of weed um, and so much to learn there. So that really helped with my contacts. And I learned quite a bit during that time. Um, I uh, left that agency earlier this spring and I just reached out to Ricardo Baca, the founder of Grasslands, and said, you know what, we should know each other. And uh, thank gosh we do. He's just a terrific guy. Um, it's an extraordinary agency. Um, he's indigenous owned, um, very interested in the intersection of art um, and commerce. Actually, he is helping to host a, a, a biennial art show in Colorado that will be in part based in the office at Grasslands in Denver, um, cool. but will be spread throughout the city. Um, it's it's a very invigorating environment and uh, really a pleasure. For, I feel very honored to work with him. Yeah, it's, I mean, from everything that you've just told me, it sounds like a very, very yeah. cool place to work. And I know they just from from word of mouth, I know they do incredible yeah. work. Uh, and so, so Gretchen, one thing that I was very excited just to to get your take on as a PR veteran, PR pro, I'm always, I'm always interested to, to get people's takes on what PR and what, or what public relations means to them. Because a lot of times there will be, and this is, I found this to be true both in the cannabis industry and also out. PR has an element of murkiness to it sometimes where people may come and say, I think I need PR, but what exactly is it? So from your perspective, what is PR? And when, when people ask you that, what is the answer that you give them? Well, the first job I had in PR, um, I, I went to my boss and I said, what is PR? And she threw her hands up and she said, exactly. <laughs> and that was no help. That's funny. <laughs> that was no help. What I have discovered over the course of the, the ensuing years is that um, PR follows marketing. So what we do is we mm -hmm. follow whatever uh, the marketing team has done in, in, in terms of um, events in terms of look and feel in terms of language for the brand you know this and then we tell the story so pr is about narrative um it is about finding the the truth and the real uh, it's about finding a the, the true north for um a brand what actually really matters to them and um if we mm -hmm. If they don't have a true north and what we call a CSR, a corporate social responsibility element in which they give back in some manner, one of the first things I want to do is help them to develop that because I'm always going to go back to that as a way to help weave their narrative and um, what they are. So what we're, we're storytellers in PR, frankly, we really we take the um the story that the brand you know every brand has a story um they have a founder's story they have challenges they have you know it's a mythic journey they have you know they have achievements mm -hmm. they have lows they, how do we tell that story and of course obviously we do want to tell it in the best possible light but we ain't gonna lie you know um and we do fire clients right. and we do refuse to work with clients who don't have the qualities that we require um we don't want to work with people who just want to make money and um, that's great, and there's nothing wrong with that. We all need money, but there's got to be more to it. So uh, with Cannabis PR, mm -hmm. we're also trying to lift all boats. Everyone, we are trying to take a plant that grows so readily, it's nicknamed weed, um, a plant that has mm -hmm. extraordinary uh, chemical properties that our bodies are set up physically to absorb in a way that we are not connected to any other plant. We have receptors all throughout our bodies. 
hundreds of thousands of them that work in conjunction with this plant. There's, I can't think of anything else that we that uh, matches that. And it has been um, demonized for small, stupid reasons that have to do with government agencies back in the 1930s um, and take it out into the light and not only show people the extraordinary uh, financial opportunities that cannabis offers through taxation, which are, you know, in, in the billions um, annually, but the um, opportunities it offers to help you sleep, um, feel de-stressed, concentrate, have better sex, eat more, eat less, stop drinking, um, be nicer to your kids. You know, um, there, there are just so <laughs> many things one. that cannabis can offer. And um, so that's that's really, we, we are storytellers. We really take the, the building blocks and components that the brand has put together and we take that forward. Obviously, we also specialize in having relationships with media. And something I talk about a lot is um, ideally in a perfect world, Media needs us. We need media. I'm serving my clients, mm -hmm. but I'm also serving my media um, friends because I want to make sure that they get the best possible stories, that they get a truthful story, that they get a timely story, and that they get a story that's going to bring, you know, bottom line for them, eyeballs, clicks, whatever they're looking for. Um, I am uh, working for them just as much as I'm working for the client that actually pays me. So is that at all cogent? <laughs> Yeah, no, that answers the question perfectly. And that last that last point that you just drove home is so important. And I believe that is one of the key components of finding the right clients to work with, to what you said prior, where you're not just going to pick up any client for the sake of money. There has to be some foundational yeah. trust, a foundation of ethics, morals, characters, values, because otherwise you're not going to want to connect those dots with some of the folks that you may have. It may have taken two, three, four, five, 15 years to develop those trusting relationships that are, that are win-win uh, reciprocal relationships with, with media folks. Um, and all it takes is just, you know, one, one sleazy, you know, pitch and to find out, oh, this person did not send me somebody who was who they said they were. And now all of a sudden that relationship is tarnished. And so I really, I really put a lot of pride into into and respect for folks like yourselves, the Grasslands team, and also just, you know, anybody and everybody who's in this industry and others that take that level of care in the relationships that they develop. Because at the end of the day, it may you may be able to cut corners, but it's always gonna come it's back true. to you. And that's something that I've seen happen, especially over the last few years in this industry. Um, the ones who are cutting corners, they ultimately crumble. And that's that's what I'm starting to, to I witness really see a lot that. I, I, I really see that, Mike, and I agree with you. And Grasslands, you know, I'm not the only uh, recovering journalist on the team. Ricardo Baca, who founded it, uh, was with the Denver Post for quite a while and actually was the first cannabis mm -hmm. columnist in the United States. So he uh, he was actually on the Colbert Report. And it was quite a like a novelty when the Post appointed him as that. Cool, yeah. Um, and, uh, we know as journalists what it what happens if you send me um, yeah a stinky fish and I don't smell it until it got published and now it on my reputation mm -hmm. is harmed. So 
Um, I absolutely don't want to do that to our media friends. And we also, I also know what I need if I'm on deadline and, and I just, you know, certainly as a print editor, I got a hold of Phil. Um, if you send me a, a good pitch that has a full media kit and um, easy access to quotes and a story that I can pull together real quickly and get that in and fill that hole, how grateful am I? So we're trying to really be cognizant of that, particularly as we see journalists becoming increasingly stressed out, increasingly, you know, told to mm -hmm. take your phone and film it. You know, we want video, you know, we need this, you know, we need that. Um, I want you to publish your story at four in the morning and then you can just update it all day long as it goes, you know, the, the stresses that journalists are under today are incredible. Yeah. So um, we're trying to do our best to mitigate that, help them tell the right story, the true story. And of course, you know, um, in the bottom, you know, in the end, we we are working for our clients and we want it to be the story that is true and, and real about our clients. Yeah. And I think cannabis and psilocybin yeah. both were really moving heavily into psilocybin. I'm so excited by the opportunities there. The stories are fabulous because these are passionate people and we are still early enough in both industries. Well, in cannabis, we're still dealing with people who are on the traditional market, perhaps for the beginning of their careers, people who've been imprisoned for cannabis, um, you know, people who've had some rough, takes on it and um how do you know and bringing them into like the uh, i don't know if you saw that burner from cookies was recently on the forbes cover grasslands made that placement yes congratulations um, we're really proud and um that is uh, not only the first time that a campus professional has been on forbes and it's 113 year you know history or whatever but um that's a burner's a guy who's been through a lot <laughs> and uh, hasn't always oh, been yeah. on, you know, the, the rosy side of things, but has grown and changed and has contributed a lot of, you know, fi financially through his, you know, the tax monies that he's raised and has really come forward in a way that is admirable. And um, this Forbes cover mm -hmm. is in part a way, uh, it's a big honor. It's a big honor for us and it's an honor for him. And it's a, it's a real big step forward for the industry as a whole is how we see it. I agree. And that was one thing that I, I wanted to to mention as well. It's a it's a huge step forward for for burner, for cookies, for you and your team. But it, I think it just it it provides such a huge mm. lift yes. for the industry and the community as a collective, because now, you know, that has already yes. been achieved. So we can kind of scratch that <laughs> off of the list and it. say, okay, that that piece of right. the puzzle has been solved. What's the next level of bringing this mainstream and bringing this this new level of acceptance to the business and the industry and the the community behind it? So I think that's that was just an incredible um, milestone and achievement. And when I when I woke up and I saw that, I was I got oh, the chills cheers. and I was like, wow, okay, we're we're we're, we're heading somewhere. We're heading somewhere. Well, I'm sure, let the team who who did this. I did not make that happen. They did. Um, you know how you feel, and you know to go back to being PR. Um, it, we were both in book PR as we discussed before we turned on the record button mm -hmm. and we discussed that that can be a pretty cutthroat business. Um, cannabis PR, however, is so collaborative and so collegial. You know, you're a, you're a cannabis publicist. I'm a cannabis publicist. Mm -hmm. you, you invited me on to, you know, I mean, it, it's so wonderful. And I, I'm sure you have the same experience with like Zoe Wilder and, you know, other cannabis publicists. We are looking out for each other. We're trying to help each other. We want this industry to succeed. And the more that we work together, 
Um, I've never been, I've never had that experience in PR before that it's just everyone wants to. And the other thing that I think is very different and special about cannabis PR is um, because it's such a new industry, as a PR professional, you're in the C-suite. You are working directly with the people who are making the change. It's not like in yes. fashion or food or any other more traditional PR thing. You are right there with the C-suite um, working with them to give, to help guide to help guide them as they in fact guide the industry. So um, that's pretty cool too. And that's another thing I really like about it. Yeah. Yeah. And you answered my, my next question that I wanted to bring up was there are so many different facets of PR. And so I was just curious if you maybe had a particular favorite aspect or facet of what goes into what you do day in and day out? Like, is it the media relations? Is it the going to an event? Is it, you know, the, the rush of excitement that you get when a, when a placement finally hits and you've been working yeah. so hard on it and, you know, contemplating on how to pitch it and, and all of this. So I was just curious if there's a particular favorite part of this uh, that always just kind of resonates well, that's a with great you. Question. Um, when I was a journalist, um, I was, I was never a, um, I was never an investigative journalist. There was never any aha. My background really was as an arts journalist. I actually won an NEA fellowship for visual arts journalism, writing about the fine arts. Um, and when I led the newspaper, I remained that way. We didn't have the money to do investigative journalism for one thing. The reason I couch it that way is because part of what I loved about that job, I mean, the thing I loved about that job was falling in love with the subject. You know, you go and spend an hour with mm. a painter in her studio and you ask all the questions and you know, you want to lick the paint and you know, what is what made you want to do this? Or or you learn about an event or you meet a restaurateur. And in order for me to do a wonderful job as a writer, I needed to sort of quote unquote fall in love with the subject so that I could then tell their story. I could reflect it back to the community. I have found that same uh, love object to be mm -hmm. the driving force of my career as a publicist as well. I truly, and I do mean this, I hope everyone understands, I mean, it's a very non-sexual, you know, truly just genuine. I like to take the time to really slow down and connect with the client so that I understand them and I really care. So that actually, to me, I mean, the thrill of the placement is connected to the love I have for the client and my desire for that client to succeed. So, um, I mean, I have gotten verklempt on status calls, you know, it's ridiculous, but I do get very um, excited. So I really, truly, uh, humanly care on that level about the client's success. And that is, again, why I don't want to work with someone who's, you know, whose efforts I don't respect or, you know, and, and we've just been very fortunate in, well, cannabis primarily, if you get to the point where you can afford to hire a publicity um, firm to support you, um, you're probably not, um, it's a hard world to succeed in. So if you're not a good person, um, it, you generally, yeah, I'm just saying, it, it, I, we tend to work with the best people in the world. I guess would be the best mm -hmm. way to say that. Yeah. And that's what it is. It's love yeah. driven, like, <laughs> truly. No, that's a great, that's a great answer. And that's, and I, I, I was doing some reflecting and I think that's also one of the reasons why I just love doing this show because as a publicist, I feel like you have to have some, something within you that just drives you to connect with other people. And even when I was in, in book PR, I was always just so fascinated by, okay, how did yeah. you get here? 
you know, you're, you're a founder, you're in the C-suite, you're leading this, this company, you're an expert on this particular topic, but how did you get here? And that was always what fascinated me and understanding that and truly being able to connect with that person on the other end of the table or on the other side of the computer now, um, it just, it helps you build that narrative that you were talking about before that is so important that's going to help support and lift up every other effort on the team whether it be marketing sales leadership um and so i i couldn't agree anymore with you but i just wanted to share that as one as one publicist to another we're kind of just going back and forth here i totally agree and i think that's such a critical part of of what we do every day i do too i do too and um and as you know, and being able to use so many different skills, you know, you're using your writing skills, you're using your listening skills, you're using your stick to skills, you use your sleuthing skills. I mean, a good publicist is will figure stuff out. You know, I'm sure you've had experience, you know, your client is supposed to send you a logo. They don't send you a logo. They don't send you a logo. You need a logo. It's a dumb little asset, but you've got to have it. But you figure out how to go get their mm-hmm. logo. You know, you, you screenshot yes. it, you turn it into a high-res JPEG, you Photoshop it, you do whatever you want. Same with headshots. Same with getting through to journalists who are difficult to get through to. You know, you you mm-hmm. uh, follow them on Instagram, you DM them, and, um, and you don't hound them you know i mean like coming to journalists as peers i think is another very important part of what we do and uh help you know to understand that um no one's higher than the other person everyone's at work here and we're all trying to do the best possible job yeah totally and so so gretchen i have have a question for you so for for companies that are just working really really hard at trying to earn coverage for whatever positive impact it is that they're having in the industry. Do you have maybe one or two tips that are kind of just like a general rule of thumb for, for companies trying to earn media coverage on their own? So interesting. Well, yes. Um, and you're, uh, please take a look at your website and make sure that it is navigable and that the um, information that people need to know is available. If you are a, um, if you are dealing with a hemp based product in any way, have your COAs on the site so everyone can see that um, this was grown in the United States, that, you know, hemp is, uh, well, the plants are very, you know, uh, they, they pull out of the soil and, it, and but cannabis, since it's regulated like plutonium, you don't have to worry so much about ingesting it if you bought it on the legal market. Hemp, Lord knows. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, being as, um, as uh, transparent as possible uh, to the public, um, don't have content that, dates back to 2016, you know, showing, uh, make sure your social media, which is its own hour long conversation, um, is up to date and uh, relevant. And make sure you do, as we've said before, uh, have a CSR of some kind, have a corporate social responsibility. Um, There is, cannabis is a particular industry. Cannabis was built on the backs of black and brown people, too many of whom are still incarcerated for a plant that's legal mostly throughout the United States. Uh, Cannabis is a female flower. Women and people of color should come first as we emerge and build a brand new industry, period. And I'd be glad to argue about that all day long, but I think we all agree with that. Um, How now, it may not work for everyone to sincerely be able to support uh, nonprofits or causes that, um, that that lift up the BIPOC community or that focus on, on women. That's fine. Are you hiring that way? 
Are you promoting that way? Are you doing anything to bring people of color and women into your organization, train them and promote them so they have an opportunity uh, to succeed? Um, and what do you really care about in this world? Is it recycling? Are you? What's your packaging look like? You know, those all are stories. And some people feel they're self-aggrandizing. Oh, I don't want to talk about it. We can help you talk about things in a way that doesn't feel like, you know, you're just like, I'm so great, you know? Yes. Um, the, the story itself, if it's simply told and told with humility and told well, is going to, um, is going to shine. So I really feel that's a very big bedrock um, right there. Um, also, I think that if whatever you're doing locally, you know, your local press remains your best um, friend, frankly. Um, you know, they may have a caveat. They, it, depending on where you're at, and we were talking about the fact of like where you're at, it's really not cannabis friendly at all. And I'm sure if the press were to write about it, it would still be kind of like with a kind of a little hoot in their voice, you know, like, what crazy, a crazy cannabis community. We still get that here in Sonoma County, and we are at the southern end of the Emerald Triangle. Cannabis tourism for us is such an opportunity. It's untrue. And our local paper still kind of thumbs their nose at it. But that doesn't mean we can change to try. We want profiles. Um, you know, these are community members that are doing something fascinating. Someone like Mike Benzinger, it's terrifically easy to get, uh, you know, press for him because of his wine background. But he's got so much more to talk about. And when you do that, you kind of do a stealth thing. It's like you introduce him to the press as, you know, former wine guy. And then you get him in front of the press and he blows their mind talking about soil and cannabis and all the farming things he talks about. So I, I think being clever, which is part of being a publicist, is important and training mm -hmm. yourself even if you're not a publicist to think cleverly about how your story might be told and to whom and thinking about all the different there's radio particularly with local media they are they need stories they they you know every especially if it's a daily um if it's a daily radio show if it's a daily newspaper they need stories so how can you tell your story best that's a great that's a great chunk oh, of advice right there. And it's a great question to leave off with. How can you tell your yeah. story best? Good, thank you. I love that. Yeah, and so Gretchen, um, just one final wrap-up question that I love asking everybody who comes on. If you can look back in time to when you first kind of set out on your own on this, this journey in cannabis and give yourself maybe one or two pieces of advice, oh, what would gosh. it be? Do not sample, do not actually ingest any samples. <laughs> on site <laughs> i've been given this advice before that's really funny at an industry event i i went to a um i went to a hall of, of a hall of flowers show and i bought what i thought was a i thought it was a cbd anyway i couldn't i couldn't measure it so i just drank from the bottle i live four blocks away i barely got home at three o'clock in the afternoon um but uh wow. the is to really listen to people when they tell you your story um this is an interesting industry because it is uh, so new and um, your BS detector needs to be on high. Um, and, um, you know, to really uh, choose to surround yourself with people and clients who um, are out for the same thing you are, which is to advance the industry and to normalize cannabis and to help plant medicine become a part of everyone's life who's willing and desirous of it. Um, I would love to see uh, alcohol diminish in popularity, cannabis um, rise. And, you know, there's not too many knife fights at um, like 
people a smoking sash. (laughs) I agree. I am yet to see that happen. So I guess that's, that's what I would say. That's great. All right. Well, Gretchen, thank you so much for your time and for being with us today. I definitely learned a lot and I'm sure the listeners did as well. Um, for anyone who may want to connect with you after tuning into this episode, what would be the best way for Thank them you. to do so? Um, my, my email address is Gretchen at mygrasslands with an S dot com. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm Gretchen Giles. And, uh, and my website, uh, which hasn't been updated in a while, I don't follow my own advice, is uh, hellogretchen.com. Mm-hmm. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for for joining us this week, Gretchen. That'll do it for this week's episode of the Major Journey Podcast. We will catch you all next time. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey friends, I'm Brandon and I'm Saba and we are your host of the Cannabis Hangout podcast, an educational platform to connect with the cannabis community and share personal stories while breaking the stigma of marijuana. Join us every Sunday at 7 p.m. to gain valuable insight with different perspectives from industry leaders, growers, and medical marijuana patients. This is a place to learn so much from different angles in the cannabis industry. So tune in while we break it all down.